happy Memorial Day. Yeah. Or Veterans Day. Veterans Day? No, Memorial Day. No, it's Memorial Day. Sorry, I woke up. Sorry. I'm actually in the States for this. I'm just, there were little American flags on the dinner table tonight. How'd that make you feel? Uh, I felt like heresy was being imposed upon me. (laughs) 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 That's a little, I know, that's a little, that's a little, that's a little much, but uh, uh, no, so yeah, I'm still, uh, still at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Still at Notre Dame doing, doing my stuff. Uh, I actually submitted my introductory chapter today. Like Ooh. I got, well, there's a section I got to retool already, but um, cause I, I figured out how I wanted to work my methodology section now, but I submitted the rest of the introduction stuff that I can submit for now. Like mm-hmm. the summer, the chapter summary stuff that waits till the chapter's done. Uh, there's no point in writing a summary when it's going to probably be written and rewritten and sure. written later on. Uh, so did that today. And I was actually, so I was just in uh, Fort Wayne over the weekend um, doing a, uh, uh, so I was godfather for Michael Heinlein's uh, son, John Francis. Um, Michael Heinlein, he runs simplycatholic.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife uh, uh, works for the OSV newspaper and on various OSV board stuff. Um, so yeah, they asked, uh, Michael and I have been good friends for a long time because of the pandemic, we've actually had a chance to actually meet in person. We talk all the time on the phone and everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he asked me, well, when I was doing this two weeks off, he was like, are you sure you want to go to Regensburg? Cause I was hoping to go to Regensburg for these two weeks, but I couldn't, yeah. they never got back to me from the Benedict 16th Institute. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, he goes, cause yeah, if you go to South Bend, then you can come to Fort Wayne on, on, on May, whatever that was yesterday, 29th. Yeah. Uh, for John Francis's baptism, and then you could be the Godfather. I was yeah. like, "Sure, thanks." <laughs> That's nice. So that, that was very, it was very sweet. It's always quite an honor to be asked. And then, uh, so it was a great time to to go out there. I got to meet uh, Sister Nancy Uselman from the Daughters of Saint Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, she because she's the godmother. Oh wow! So a priest, That's priest cool. and nun, uh, a godparents are is pretty solid choice, nice, I yeah. think. And uh, it was just it was just great to finally kind of meet in person. So Michael and I wrote the pandemic book together. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, so it was just great to hang out. And I met uh, his friend, Father Andrew, who's a priest in D.C. I think you actually went to seminary with him for a couple of years. He was ordained Father four Andrew, years ago. What's his last name? Uh, let me effort that for one second. I am forgetting at the moment. Klein. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, we were like long lost priest brothers <laughs> that's cool <laughs> every time he'd say something like yes and he'd be, I'd say something like, yeah i'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome uh so yeah just meeting him just hanging out meeting some of the osv staff we're at the baptism bishop perry uh the auxiliary one of the auxiliaries of chicago i mm-hmm. uh, did the baptism oh wow cool yeah, yeah really nice really really nice guy i nice. i was really really quite impressed with him so studying away although so it's uh it's a little we it's always weird for me coming to the states though because in where i'm from it's very rare to find areas of towns that i would feel unsafe in mm-hmm. just i don't know just not a thing on the island i mean <laughs> there'd be places where you may not hang around like for hours but like mm-hmm. you always never feel unsafe even in like the the really dingy part of downtown victoria mm-hmm. which is like three blocks long but like last night like i got dropped i got off the bus and i'm waiting for an uber to take me back to notre dame and uh there was just some 
some uh i'm pretty sure some some drug dealers were <laughs> hanging around the area there's these there's this like these guys just like hanging around on these dirt bikes and they'd be like driving on lawns and then just be like circling around the blocks and mm-hmm. i'm just and like looking around like looking for someone and i'm just like i i don't i don't feel safe here <laughs> is that I don't know. It's just a weird thing. Fascinating. Well, I mean, I, I mean, they're providing a, a service. Uh, we're a very capitalist country. I mean, there's. I mean, it's good to you know uh, be able there for the consumer. Uh, and how kind of them. Also, well, okay, there may be dangerous areas of different cities in in the United States. I mean, we don't have to worry about like uh, gangs of moose or invading uh, geese attacking us. Or this is why I live on the like island. That. I don't. I don't have to worry about <laughs> funny thing. So driving back uh, from Michael's one night, uh, one of the the times there, and uh, we're going to go, he's dropped me off at the hotel, and uh, there was like five dead geese on the road. Mm -hmm. Canadian geese. Mm -hmm. The the Americans killed the Canadian geese. Good. Yeah. That's good. They don't belong here. Uh, They didn't bring their passport, so (laughs) shame on them. Yeah, I think they they took after you. Probably, yes, for getting their passport. (laughs) Great. <laughs> Sorry, I just uh, it just it just lobbed it up mm-hmm. there. Yeah, sure. So, but it's been it's been nice. I'm I, I leave on Sunday and then I go on my retreat for five days. Well, nice. three and a half days. I just want to pull my hair out on that one. Hmm. It starts in the evening on Monday, ends on Friday morning. It's technically five days, but I just yeah, I, yeah. I want nice. five days. I want five days. But anyways, um, I think I mentioned last week, but if I didn't, I uh, uh, met. I had dinner with. Um, Jeff Pajanowski and Rick Garnett last week, too. I can't remember if I mentioned that or not, but if I didn't, well, now I did. And it was great to see them. So uh, that's enough of the name dropping for now. Mm -hmm. So speaking of name dropping, welcome to Cleric Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. What's up? Uh, So I just, you know, know, uh, things, a lot of things are going very well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Parish is doing good stuff, very comfortable here, but I have just not been taking care of myself lately. Like last like two weeks, I think I've only had like one meal a day, either because mm-hmm. I've been busy or just caught up with something else. And like, I think that's bad for me because um, I'm not feeling great. Um, just running on a lot of caffeine. My sleep schedule is all, all kinds of confused. Mm-hmm. That's Memorial Day, so I had the time for an afternoon nap and like uh, slept for like two hours and just had like four cups of uh, espresso and my brain hurts. And then also, you know, also I'm I'm older than I was before. You know, I had a um, the first D and D night in a long time with my friends, uh, and then I got back to the rectory at like I got to bed at like two o'clock probably, um, which wasn't great. And so I am just all kinds of messed up. I need to get my stuff together. Um, Welcome to getting old. You can't stay up to two a.m. anymore. Party and do things, and no, I got to like. I'm gonna have to like go to bed early and like eat three square meals a day and stuff. Like two, two different, like two different people have said like, "Hey, you've lost weight. Good for you." I'm like, I don't think it's good for me. I think this is, I think this is not the healthy way to do it. I haven't been to the gym very much. It just, ugh. So I need to get my stuff together. Um, but today is Memorial Day, and so a few things happened. Uh, one of them was. Uh, we have a big parade that goes on like the main street, uh, one of our church buildings. Mm-hmm. And so we have, uh, we move our mass to nine o'clock. So we've been going to mass and then get ready for the parade. Uh, but we made a mistake in the bulletin and forgot to say that that was going to be the only mass. 
Mm. Uh, so uh, the pastor asked me if I would go down to the other church, open up and say mass just in case people were there. And, and that's what I did. So there were like 12 people there. It was the simplest mass I've done in a long time. Did you preach? Nope. Didn't preach. Didn't do intercessions. Just did a uh, thing. Just did a nice little mass, uh, which is actually, there's something kind of nice about it. Yeah. 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 Um, yep. But I was happy to do mass for them, and you know they they got the Eucharist and, and the Holy Sacrifice and all that jazz, and then uh, so they had the big old parade, and you, you had like you know volunteer firefighters, military. You had uh, some uh, trucks bringing like antique cannons and stuff. You had like uh, marching bands and stuff. It was pretty cool, and uh, there's a cemetery right next to our church, and that's where it ends. So I did a little uh, memorial service uh, at our mausoleum there, and then another little prayer service at the uh, memorial. Uh, so that was nice, nice praying for those who have uh, passed on in service for their country and all that jazz. Um, the Boy Scouts were there. Uh, Air Force did their um, salute with the guns and the things, and it was uh, it was nice, nice. It just felt cool to be like I'm walking down the streets during the parade, getting ready for stuff. People are saying hello to me. I met our retired permanent deacon, who's the uh, chaplain for the um, firefighters. He was all in uniform. I didn't recognize him. It was just nice. It was nice yeah. like, oh, to be really a part of, of a community. Hmm. And I'm feeling that more and more with my parish assignment. Like, it's feeling more and more like home after getting close to a year here, which is really nice. It's really nice. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, feeling. And, like, yeah, entering to leisurely stuff of a day like today and just being yeah. there with people. And it's like, you don't have to do office work or anything. It's just kind of just be there. Yeah. It's cool. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny because people, I was wearing my suit. I was going to wear my, um, I finally found my cassock, which for like a year, I had no idea where it was. Apparently, you mean the one that you got when you're in Chicago? Yes, that one. The really nice one I got from um, House of Hanson and yeah. could not find it because occasionally the other priests here will wear their cassocks on Sundays and wear cassock and surplus for different things. If um, And I was like, oh man, where the heck is mine? Apparently it was just hanging out uh, in my closet at my parents house for like a year <laughs> interesting so i wanted to wear it but it's a little bit wrinkled also i was at a um uh, this delightful little um young adult group um mm -hmm. that uh, they like we had a food truck there we had masks and everything mm -hmm. uh, for the ascension which we celebrate in pennsylvania on thursday which is as is right and just as is right and just in my opinion yeah Let's take a moment just to talk about this, just for a second yeah, before we go on to, yeah, because this is a very I I don't understand this at all. Here do I. So there's only like two sections of at least the United States where Ascension Thursday is actually on Thursday. Mm -hmm. There's like one of the one of the square countries plus, in the middle, plus the ordinariate, which is all over the place. The sure. ordinary, but yeah, anyways. But Pennsylvania, I think New York, New Jersey, that kind of area. And I assume most of the bishops move the Ascension to Sunday just to make it easier for people to make the Ascension, Probably. I assume. I mean, what other... but the thing is like, we're Catholics yep. and we love ourselves a good novena. Yep. We love novenas so much that we even have things called perpetual novenas, which make no sense. Yep. And all these novenas, <laughs> these nine days of prayer are based around the novena. Dina from Ascension to Pentecost. I was thinking about this today again. Exactly. Yep. And so if you have Ascension on Sunday, what, 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 but then you start the novena on Thursday, right? You set the Pentecost novena on Thursday, but you don't celebrate Ascension till Sunday. It makes zero sense. Period. Full stop. It just—I want to pull my hair out on this one. Yeah, it's like okay, one more holy day of obligation. This is kind of a big deal. Question. Uh, yeah. 
if the bishops of the United States agreed to move it back to Thursday on one condition, mm. that Father Anthony would shave his head. Would you do it? Man. <laughs> I would have to. I would, yes, have, you would to. have to. I would hate you'd it so have to, much. You'd hate it so much. But you would have to do that. I would have to. You'd yeah, have to I that. would. Yeah. I don't like it, but I would. Um, <laughs> man. It's a sad going, thought. Just, 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 just going yeah. for the... Just going for you there. Going for the heart. But anyway, you, Sorry. I may have mentioned this before, maybe last year, but... It, it, when I was in seminary, I was in seminary in D.C., right? Mm -hmm. And we had um, Ascension uh, in D.C. on Sunday. And in Pittsburgh, it's on Thursday. So I was in D.C. on Thursday, no Ascension. Finished up my finals, drove home on Friday, got to Pittsburgh. Oh, no. And I no literally Ascension. had, there's one year of my life where there was, there was no Ascension Thursday. Oh, Jesus gosh. never ascended into heaven. He is not seated at, seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the not. The priest's a lie. Our faith is a joke, and we're, you're not going to be a priest anymore. <laughs> I feel like maybe that will be my purgatory, celebrating Ascension Thursday. It's like waiting for the base the base beat to drop. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it was very yeah, awkward that year. Is he ascending? Is he ascending? Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't. He, he just keep on waiting for that for that beat to drop. But anyway, oh so there you gosh. go. There we go. Well, that's kind of an emergency. If it you're is. unable to go celebrate the Ascension. And there are other kinds of emergencies, too. We have theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Hello. Uh, I recently was in a little debate with a priest friend of mine about deacons, which is not something that we really have in our diocese. I know they're quite common other places, but it's just not something that I grew up with or um, have a lot of experience um, with. Um, both of us definitely agreed that it is a specific vocation call from God. How, um, but, uh, we have a few questions. One is, do the deacons have a mark on their soul when they are ordained, like the priests and bishops do? Um, and also kind of where, like, just, want some more info on kind of how does their vocation play out in the structure of the church because sometimes what I've seen is it's kind of like almost seems like an honor that is bestowed someone or some kind of like laity promotion um uh so love your thoughts thank you so much for your awesome podcast god bless you so here's the thing I am disappointed in this question why are you disappointed in this question Give us there are no name. bad questions. They didn't give us their name. Oh, wow. Yeah, we can't even make a really bad joke that we make all over again and again. <sighs> yeah, that. <laughs> Podcast ruined. Podcast ruined. It's over, folks. We're done. Clerical speaking's over. Yep. Um, no. Um, oh, man. You, you go first on this okay. one. Okay. I'll let you go first. Yeah. So there are a lot of deacons in my diocese. Um, and I think our bishop has plans to, like, call a new class every like four years or so or something we're making it more and more regular um and uh there are two deacons in my uh parish uh both are 
excellent, good guys. Um, so a few things about this. One, the uh, diaconate as we see it now is kind of a new thing. Um, uh, at least, okay, let's let's take a step back. Uh, deacons are a part of the hierarchy of the church. They have been since the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, it's an older uh, rank of clergy than priesthood because you got the bishops as the apostles and then uh, the apostles are like, hey, we're busy teaching and preaching and stuff. And all these Greeks want some Eucharist, and we don't got time for that. So let's get some Greeks, let's lay hands on them, and they can go help out. And you've got um, uh, some really powerhouse deacons in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, you've got um, St. Saint, uh, Stephen, who's martyred. Um, you've got, was he the one who, who uh, baptized the Ethiopian eunuch as well? No, was that? That, was, that was Philip. That was Philip, right. Okay. So they're doing some great stuff. So it was kind of like they were kind of the hands of the apostles going out to the margins of society, um, mostly meaning the Greeks, and uh, uh, helping them. Kind of they were ordained for service in that aspect. Um, and the whole laying on of hands is a sign that you know that something has changed about them. Okay. Um, and as uh, priests uh, get involved in the history of the church, more and more deacons kind of fade in the history. So you always have deacons in the church, but they become more or less transi transitional deacons. Um, the idea is that especially you, as we move into the Middle Ages. Especially, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the whole like charism of the diaconate was not something that was terribly explored for a long time. Um, because the idea is that you would ordain somebody, you're kind of testing a man through the diaconate to see if he has a loving heart to move on to the priesthood. So the transitional diaconate was kind of like the only diaconate we had for a long time. Um, and then with liturgical movements, blah, 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 uh, we bring back the permanent diaconate. Um, and it's interesting because the way it was first envisioned was kind of have younger men do this and to go out <laughs> into um, areas where they could, you know, because to do more catechesis, to be places where priests couldn't. And that was kind of the idea. Um, and that has changed, and even so much so that uh, our diocese will not ordain uh, young men to the diaconate, um, or very much cautions uh, men with young families. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more reserved for guys who are um, older. Okay. Um, and so we have the situation where the diaconate has always been a thing in the church, but I also think we're kind of rediscovering what it is now. So now, do they have ontological change? That's the question. And... You would think I would have like a class on this in seminary, uh, but this was kind of a controversy. Uh, what's the difference? The ontological change versus the ontological like mark or? Um, uh, I mean, yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah, take it away. There's two things here. One is first, it was also a debate around bishops, right? After, yeah. It was, it's been debated. It wasn't until really Vatican II that mm -hmm. a bishop was considered to have uh, to be an order unto himself. It's not just an administrative act. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. Uh, I would argue they do. Mm -hmm. uh, for one person, it's because they are in the person of Christ the servant. This is kind of the the, the, the theology of the church on, on the question, right? So a priest is in uh, the person of Christ the head. Mm-hmm. And and the deacon is the, in the person of Christ, the servant. Um, now, with this, 
you see then it's be that in-person phrasing that I see as a kind of changing moment. It's an order. And so it changes your relationship with the whole church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in persona. I believe I'd actually, have to, I don't have my catechism with me right now, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's a, it, you enter clerical state by virtue of ordination to the diaconate yeah, and clerical state is only for people who have received ordination um, that changes them. I think I would argue that at least it does now. We're not, not in 1917, uh, the okay. 1917 code, you would just be taunted. If you're tonsured, you're a cleric. Um, but it's a holy, it's holy orders, right? It's part of, and it's actually, yeah, sorry. It has to have it because it's part of the sacrament of holy orders. There's your simple answer. It's, it is in the, it's in the catechism as a sacrament of holy orders. It's in the Canton law as a sacrament of holy orders. It's a sacrament. So therefore if it's a sacrament and it's, it's doing something. It's doing something to you. This is something permanent. You have to. It has to change you. Yeah, but I mean, uh, so you can only go so far with that argument, though, because um, receiving the Eucharist doesn't confer an ontological change on us. No, but a sacrament of order does. It's it's mm-hmm. a, a sacrament of order is akin to uh, confirmation and baptism mm-hmm. gotcha. as, as a one-time permanent act. Yeah, but here's also the thing that's odd about diaconate. What can a deacon do? that a regular lay person cannot do? <laughs> this is, well, I would argue, actually, um, there's two things they could do that a regular, there's, this is the problem. If you, you can't, uh, if you look at it just in terms of pure function, mm-hmm. then there's not a lot. But then if you reduce holy orders to functionalism, then you're in trouble, I think. Um, but at the same time, Preaching as a liturgical act is something only ordained ministry can do. Yeah. As a liturgical act. Sure, as a liturgical act. But also, I mean, there's... Um, uh, okay, so deacons can preach, but I think there's something to be said with um, that's not there. So the primary right. preacher of the diocese is the bishop. And... Uh, then next you have priests. Um, but there's something, so I was reading, uh, I think I, when I was talking about that book about preaching, that old book from the Dominican, we did mm-hmm. episodes like a few months ago. Um, it kind of, uh, argues, I forget exactly why that's more of a place for the deacon and his preaching to do catechesis and not mm-hmm. really preaching qua preaching. I forget exactly why. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was interesting. I have to look that up again. Um, the other but, thing, uh, yeah, I was going to add the other thing though, is if you're, if, orders change uh you make christ present in a particular and unique way mm-hmm. and so while you know a deacon can serve the poor just as any lay person can yeah. a deacon makes present christ the servant in a unique way a lay person cannot make him present yeah and i think in that regard there is actually a real difference mm-hmm. uh it's not a functional difference it's not like externally but it's 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 ontologically and theologically different in that yeah. it's making a presence felt also deacons can give blessings lay people can't uh yeah okay right so this is if you're talking there's like pure function there's a couple things i would argue that you yeah. need to be ordained to do still but I, I i for me it's in the in persona part that is actually the real difference yeah i buy that uh, but it's also you know, so it's it, it definitely you, uh, every deacon's loving me right now. By the way, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like just well, propping them up, you know. Yeah, yes, which is good because these poor deacons uh, they they uh, have a tough time. Um, there's all there's a feeling of being a second class citizen 
uh, in the hierarchy. If you're a deacon, a lot of guys <laughs> talk about this, um, where dioceses won't let them wear clerics. Um, and, and this is, yeah. I think a lot of this is a part of, this is a new thing culturally for the church. And we are still discovering and normalizing it. Um, yeah. So in my parish, there's more of an understanding of what deacons are, because we've had deacons in my parish for a long time. But other parishes, you know, the deacon shows up for the first time. It's like, okay, what, what, can you give me anointing? No, then go away. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it takes some time, catechesis, and cultural change to find their place and what they do in the church. So uh, I'm interested in the second question, especially part of the question mm. about how they fit into the structure of the church. And then you kind of bring this up here because yeah. and it's, it may lead into my presbyteral exhortations a bit here. I'm not mm. sure, but we'll see. Um, because in the early church, they really became the administrative arm of the bishop, mm -hmm. right? They would look after the financial dealings of things and everything like this. The way things are, are set up canonically right now is that a uh, pastor is the one who has the act of governance, which is not, that's fine, especially if you uh, look at how governance means. Mm -hmm. um, but, I really think that deacons can have a, I think we could actually create a larger space for them in the church. Uh, in terms of like, these are people who, yeah, they are self-sufficient. They, um, they live in the world. They have expertise in the world that mm -hmm. you and I do not have and never mm -hmm. will have. And really don't, I don't, I do not want to learn accounting. No, thank <laughs> you. Um, and, and I think that they could have a real um, place in parishes even to assist priests so that priests can do more of the pastoral work that they're supposed yeah. to be doing and it's a real work of service still really because it's governing the goods of the parish um and i think they can have a real place especially if there's going to be a lessening of priests mm -hmm. where where we might have to get like i may not be in, all, in my diocese we are going to have to get used to the idea that parishes are not going to have masses every sunday yeah and then and probably in the next five years yeah because we just do not have enough priests there's just not enough to fill the need and so deacons could be a great help in that regard who could cooperate with the priest. And, and if there's a, if there's a real lack of priests, they could become a, a, a sign of stability in a parish mm -hmm. that, um, that could really help keep uh, the communion of, of a parish kind of together. So yeah. I think there's a lot of room for development around their role and how they can be incorporated because I think the reason they feel like second-class citizens is because we still haven't given serious theological consideration how what their order means yeah how it's been used in the past and how it's functioned in the past and how that can taking our contemporary situations into account how that can be uh, incorporated today I think I think there's a lot of room for growth there yeah yeah and it's 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 a new expression Mm -hmm. um that we're still kind of discovering fleshing out that sort of thing um but as far as you know um uh actual like you know the the anonymous caller uh mentions um yeah there's there's definitely um a vocation there though it's a little bit interesting uh the way the vocation works because it's up to the bishop to call a class of deacons so it's a little different than priesthood whereas you're always ready for new priestly vocations it's only when um the bishop calls a class of deacons that someone can enter into formation uh, right. which is a little it's a little more i don't know it's different though well but yeah i mean yes and no it's like also a bishop still has to let a guy actually enter seminary yes so it's just saying we don't have the structures in place to form deacons so we have to 
you know, it's just more timeline thing. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's a weird discernment because it's really, a, it's not, it's not, um, it's not called to the councils. It's not called the celibacy, obviously. Although there's a lot of debate around clerical continence in the canon law mm-hmm. and what, what deacons can and can't do around mm-hmm. that question. Uh, so that's always an interesting debate, which I'm not going to start here. Uh, but uh, um, uh, it's, they are, um, my brain just went totally blank. Oh, yeah. But you're discerning a call to live a life of conformity to Jesus in a unique way. Yeah, that lifts your marriage into it, and that's a that is not normative, mm-hmm. at least in the contemporary church. So, yeah. how do you help guys even discern this, right? And that's, and but it's also like even help because like I've had experiences too. People are like, oh, I, I've, I'm pretty sure I'm called to be a deacon. I'm pretty sure I'm called to be a deacon, and the bishop's like, no, yeah, no, you're not getting ordained. And it's like, well, maybe you're not called. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, that happens to, to guys in seminary as well. Right. right. Uh, but also the other fact is um, uh, wives deacons are a huge part of the formative process. So like we need a yes from the church via our bishop and ourselves and God. They need a yes from the bishop themselves, <laughs> your church their wife, and their the wives <laughs> and their kids if, if they are still at home or something. Right. Like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's a big deal because um, yeah. it's tough. It's I mean, it's different. Like, um, uh, you know, you're kind of expected to be a part of liturgical ministry. It, it might not be your, um, the main or the emphasis of a diaconate, but um, there's a big difference when you can't sit with your wife um, or if your kids are in town or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. That's a sacrifice for both of them. Um, yeah. And to have, like, a lot of times our deacons are just as busy as we are on the weekends. Um, and that's tough when you got a job and other stuff. So it's, it's a mm-hmm. huge sacrifice. So the wife has to be on board as well. And they're a part of our um, formation process as well. They go to certain classes, and they're a part of the sermon thing. You, you've got to have that, which yeah. is something that you and I don't have to worry about so much. That's just true. Uh, we have a married priest in our diocese who's a former Anglican. He, he got ordained before the ordinary existed. And uh, mm-hmm. um, a couple times, the bishop's like, oh, I, Dean, I want you to do this. He's like, and then uh, Dean, Father Dean's like, well, let me go ask my wife. Yeah, <laughs> that's a different, and, different life. Thankfully, thankfully, the bishop's very good about right. letting a mutual discernment occur. <laughs> that's important. <laughs> Which is important because a bishop could go to a married priest and say, hey, I want you to move here. And you're moving here. And the wife's like, I don't want to move there. Yeah. And that could be a real. That'd be a big old mess. Yeah, a big old mess. Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of messes. Mm. Why don't we just go straight? I mean, actually, that took a long time. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's uh, head off to presbyteral exhortations. I like it. All right. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. I bet they can't wait to learn. (laughs) It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, Yes, quite. Yes. All right, so... Um, I I have a few floating ideas in my head. A bit of it's going to tie into a bit of what I talked about last week, uh, but not as heady. <laughs> that was a heavy one. Uh, but uh, in my conversations with Father Andrew Klein over the weekend, mm-hmm. um, he, he kept on saying, have you read Ivan Illich? Have you read Ivan Illich? Have you read Ivan Illich? I said, I've heard the name. I've not read anything. And he goes, you need to read this article called The Vanishing Clergyman. Ooh. And so I read it on my bus ride back yesterday. And, okay, so a few things. So Ivan Illich, as I'm learning a bit more about him, just 
kind of curious. He was a priest from Switzerland, like genius guy. Like he knew like 13 languages or something like that. You can make watches and little chocolates. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> ordained a priest. Um, sociologist, I think, is his larger thing. And interestingly, like he's a radical, but in the 60s and 70s, not in the leftist vein, but actually in the right wing vein. Interesting. So he's like, he, he has this whole, uh, he has this uh, school of thought around these de-schooling society and about his critiques of of the fundamental flaws of modern uh, educational state systems uh, and how they mm. just don't educate but indoctrinate. Mm. Um, so, he, like, it's weird to find like a right wing radical figure from the sixties and seventies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a it's not your image of things. Um, and in the late sixties, he was called to the. Uh, Holy Office uh, for concerns about some of his writings. He refused to answer any questions. He was, now if I'm remembering this right, I may have the information wrong. He was never laicized. He was simply suspended from being able to act as a priest. Mm. So, uh, and he always identified himself as a priest. He saw his priesthood as essential to his, who he was. And he just kind of accepted the suffering of that as just something he's going to have to suffer in his life. It's very interesting figure um, because of his sociological background. I think sometimes he, I wonder too, because he was, he was like, apparently he was like quite the celebrity at the time, hmm. quite the celebrity at the time talk, uh, uh, making all the circuits. But um, as I was reading this article, I was like, okay, the sociology is a little much sometimes. Like it's definitely a child of its era when you read it. <laughs> um, and it, and it's a provocative article. And I think it's meant to be provocative, not as this is what the church has to be in the future, mm -hmm. but this is a possibility, uh, not to say this is gonna have to be the reality, but rather to help you, let's start like thinking outside the box. And his whole argument is around uh, a shrinking church in modernity. Mm -hmm. So this is a theme we're familiar with from Ratzinger and others. And how the priest is going to have to act in this. And he actually goes on this big tirade about the problems with the clerical class is that they have everything provided for them. Hmm. And so they don't have to support themselves. And so it attracts a certain breed of man who likes the security of everything being looked after for him. Mm -hmm. And these people are added to dioceses, religious orders, other institutions for the sake of building up and propping up bureaucracies upon bureaucracies upon bureaucracies, which he thinks like the church needs to like kill her, even though he recognizes the church is the root of a lot of the bureaucratic methods today. Um, he thinks that it's ossified in the church and needs to be destroyed. Mm. Um, and he says like in the midst of this, like the priest is going to be a different figure. He may not be a pastor because there may not be many of them. You have, you have deacons in a lot of areas and it'll be their job to lead a small group of people around the tabernacle in their house and reflecting on the scriptures that week, you know, cause you may not have a Sunday obligation anymore because you won't have a priest around all the time to say mass mm -hmm. for you. You'll have some cathedral buildings around, which will be kind of like a center of pilgrimage in a diocese. Bishops will have to, will remove a lot of their administrative um, weight uh, because they won't have all these properties and, things to look after priests may have to have jobs to support themselves um he, he has this whole thing about 
yeah, and it just goes on and on. And it, it's that's not the provocative stuff. Some of the provocative stuff I think comes later on around like how he understands priesthood and religious life. I was like, eh, I don't know. Um, he's actually a big supporter of stuff like celibacy. Like he's trying to say, I, I think the, tra the tradition teaches is essential, but yeah. like we can like really take it into a new direction. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyways, I, I read this, and um, and. In the midst of the provocation of everything, there was like just ringing of trueness to the whole thing at the same mm -hmm. time, which that's that was the endearing thing of it all. Not that I agree with all his arguments or his conclusions, but he is, and we have analyzed it so much on the podcast too. Yeah, but I think it's worth rehashing it out again. Of we actually haven't we haven't taken modernity and secularization seriously as a church mm -hmm. is one of his major arguments. We have not, um, and priesthood and religious life has often lost its prophetic witness and character. Uh, so by doing this, by losing its prophetic witness and character, it actually also, it, it just kills the faith of the people who are going to church every week. And you're just found yourself chasing to hold up things that you just know are crumbling, but you just don't know what else to do yeah. because you're told to not be a prophet essentially. And he sees that the structures that are in place right now actually inhibit the ability of the gospel. I think like at the end, like my problem with him is, is in the provocative is I think there's like a too much of a lack of institution. Mm -hmm. but it's not, but that's the other thing. Um, but like in that, that heart of that argument of that critique, like, I, cause I, this is the thing. That's why I want to bring it into is, is like, cause I mentioned last week at the end of my session about prophecy and being a prophet and a witness. And that's been like that word that just continues to hang in my head. Um, and I think he's right that a lot of what the church has around her and a lot of what priests and religious and stuff deal with day to day um, has dest almost destroyed the ability to be prophetic. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, feelings. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I try, you know, I'm trying to think about, hmm. Uh, few things i think i think we've seen um the trying to save and uphold uh, institutions at all costs especially at the cost of prophecy um is definitely a problem uh in the church i'm thinking to myself in what ways do i hesitate to be prophetic right um, mm -hmm. and a part of what makes being prophetic difficult Okay, so a few things. Um, I totally see and experience the temptation of being comfortable as a priest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got my Amazon Prime account. Uh, I've got right next to this uh, microphone is my Xbox. Um, <laughs> I was very annoyed today that there wasn't food in my fridge. Um, and uh, like stuff like that, like you can get very used to this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't make a lot of money, but there's not a lot of worries as far as money goes for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something you can very sl you can slip into and be very comfortable with. 
Or for example, I did this Memorial Day service, you know, and said some prayers, not a big deal. And, you know, the guy gave me a check for a hundred bucks for it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like, hmm, I, I don't need that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, that, that, and it's quiet and it's kind of insidious in that way. And something we, we always have to be on guard uh, for. Mm -hmm. um, but another thing that makes prophecy difficult is that, so you need to be, you need to ultimately trust that you are in God's hands. Um, so you look at the prophets of the Old Testament, you look at Jesus Christ himself, um, that the goal of a prophet is not to be successful, but simply to speak the truth of God um, and to realize that maybe not a lot of people will listen to you and there's a good chance someone's going to kill you. <laughs> right? Um, on a lesser level, a parish priest needs to worry about uh, not that people are going to kill you, but that people are going to be cranky with you and send you all kinds of bad emails. But I think what confuses the situation is that there are priests and members of the church who have no problem with people hating them, but their quote-unquote prophecy is more of a self-indulgent building up of their own ego, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got this, you know, uh, what is this coalition of canceled priests, which every time I, I hear that phrase, I throw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, I saw something on the internet about them trying to like raise money to buy a house so they all can live together as canceled priests. And it's like, what kind of can, children have we become? As could, could they be called the Coalition of Catholic cance Canceled Priests? Because then it to be the CCCP, and that's our, that's the uh, that's the acronym for Russia, the Soviet Union in English. Yeah, there you go. That'd be great. Um, and so, you know, a lot of stuff has happened. Um, I mean, oh my goodness, a lot of stuff has happened in the United States. We've had you know, recent more school shootings. The whole thing with Nancy yeah, Pelosi, all this stuff, yeah. and trying to figure out exactly how to preach on those things is particularly tricky because we hear and see everything around these major issues in a partisan manner, mm -hmm. right? So I find sometimes what holds me back is not necessarily me losing my comfort as a priest, but attempt not to be seen as simply a part of this or that camp, mm -hmm. which can make prophecy tricky. Yes. You're just like teeing it up to my next point. This is perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's always good. This is always a good sign of good discussion. Um, because no, you're right. And I, and because what you're, what you're um, alluding to is prophecy built up in our own head. Of what mm -hmm. we like, so it's idea, it's it's ideology, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so like all these events that happen, etc. When when you're afraid to talk about them, it's not so much that you don't want to talk about them, but it has to come. Like I, um, the one thing I did not mention last week that I meant to, and I just kind of forgot, was like how a lot of the discussion around these things in the church, even if it's like the truth, it often falls into the language of political moralism. Mm -hmm rather than the ethos of the gospel, right? Yeah. And, and and so this is why a dialogue can happen because we're not actually, uh, we're not allowing the radical nature of the word made flesh to speak its word to us and let it form us. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing. So, cause prophecy, like, like, okay, so let's bring it back into the prophets of the Old Testament, yeah. right? How often do they just say, yeah, let's, I want to be a prophet. Woo, yeah. like, yes, come on, God. like. Thank you for giving me this glory. It just yeah. doesn't happen. No. There is a real radical resistance to being called to be a prophet. Um, 
And so in the light of all this stuff that we're talking about here, prophecy to be truly prophetic needs to be rooted in Ignatius's principle and foundation. Hmm. Um, so for those who do not remember, I got uh, uh, this going to be one of my little beefs here. I was Googling the principle and foundation and every set of clicking on was some weird wacky Jesuit translation of it that isn't <laughs> what it actually says. And yeah. I just got really, really frustrated. So I'm, I found a, um, I found a talk by Father John Hardin uh, that he gave on it. And it's, it's kind of interspersed with his talk. And I'm, okay, man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord. And this means to save his soul. The other things on the face of the earth are created for man to help him in attaining the end for which he is created. And he'll use them in so like, and then he goes on, like uh, Ignatius goes on to say, he'll use them insofar as it helps him towards this end and avoid them insofar as it interferes with him achieving this end. So this very Augustinian principle, everything is utility in seeking out one's union with God. Mm -hmm. Everything's a secondary cause. Yeah. Everything. Uh, it doesn't mean it's, it's total utility, but it's just, sure. it's, it's, it, it, it has, it has a means element to it. So, but this is so. This principle and foundation is what is known in the Asian spirituality as the principle of indifference, right? Which is not to say, indifference does not mean stoic non-desire. Mm -hmm. Indifference means radical desire for God, like mm -hmm. a real rooted, felt seeking for and chasing after one's beloved because the beloved chases after them, mm -hmm. and so you don't want you only want to use what you can to get to that goal. And you want to avoid anything that's going to interfere from you to knowing your beloved. Yeah. It's a very clarifying principle, but it also depends then on radical receptivity and malleability, um, whereby one is constant. Like this is where, in a way, I was, um, this is inspired from a talk with a friend today, and yeah. and uh, uh, and this malleability and this like there's a real need for constant discernment. And this discernment is not in that, like, I don't want to make a choice, but it's like actually a discernment always in the choice of God, like of mm -hmm. God's like, I like, let's say, I don't know, let's say you're, you're, uh, you're a single person and you're doing like this ministry to the poor and God just one day like makes it very clear, God wants you to not do that. Mm -hmm. And you just leave it right away. Just yeah. go do whatever he wants, or you might not have anything for you there. The indifference element is to say, I just want what God wants. Yeah which is lived out particular charisms and particular vocations. Um, as, and I think this is what can really form prophecy because prophecy is different than idealism. It's different than idealism. And, and like in my conversation with my friend today, I was saying to them that I think that word idealism is actually used in an unknowing way often. Mm. Like you can see it in religious life or priesthood and like the structures of the church sometimes. Oh, you're too idealistic. Yeah. And there's truth to that sometimes, especially when you're younger. Sure. But Christianity is not about idealism. Mm -hmm. Christianity is about reality. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the saint is the one who chases after reality, who, who like throws themselves at the real, because that is where the ideal is found. It's what's in front of you. The universal is made known through the particular. Um, and I think, and this is where like, we, we, we resist prophecy as priests 
because so often we are told, don't be idealistic. You got to play the game mm-hmm. now. And listen, sometimes like in maybe in one's discernment, you do have to play the game sure. because Jesus might ask you a particular goal for the good of a diocese or something like that. He wants you to do. So you have to play that game to do that. Mm-hmm. But I find that you're being too idealistic often is thrown not to actually for their good of the person they're saying it to, but it's actually because they don't want to be challenged to live the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a real, it's a, it's a, it's a weird form of like, of, of authoritarianism in the church. Being too, you gotta be malleable, which is not like it's like no, you have to be malleable because I want you to be this way. It's yeah. not a. If there's no seeking of God's glory, there's no seeking of eternity. There's no seeking of God's love. It's just you're a nuisance to me, so I want you to be this way. Mm-hmm. And where is the gospel cherry in that? Mm-hmm. And so we lose our prophetic value because it's chipped away at us so often. The tool where we just feel like I just got to survive in my vocation. And, and I think at the heart of that, to kind of bring it back to the beginning stuff, a lot of that has to do with, because there's this real felt need of holding up so much of this bureaucracy institution in the church and not letting it be purified and not letting the hope of death to come through all this, that, in order to do that, you know, you have to kill the spirit of everyone around you. Mm-hmm. Not intentionally, not consciously. Right. I don't think this necessarily brings someone to hell in leadership because this is what they are thinking because they may stop know better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, essentially, like we are just lacking prophecy in the church. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and so, okay, I'm thinking. Of Sorry. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. No, 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 it's good. It's good. Um, so, uh, I mean, how many conversations have we had or us with our priest friends or other other Catholics just saying, like, burn it all down, right? Mm-hmm. The whole burn it all Double down. Mean. Yeah. Um, but I also think that that's not necessarily what has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, like, necessarily burn it all down, but if it burns down, that's okay. Right. Um, like, I think we're, we're so afraid that if we speak the radical truth of the gospel in love, that people won't accept it. Um, and that will happen. But I don't know it's, if, it, if it will happen as much as we think it will. Um, so I'm thinking about, you know, just the, the brief history I've been at with my new parish. And uh, the pastor's been here for a few years. Um, Perkin Vicar's been around for a while. I've been here for almost a year. Um, and there have been a lot of changes, a lot mm-hmm. of liturgical changes. There's, there's a very big focus in my parish on the liturgy um, to make it appropriate, um, beautiful, um, loving, what it's supposed to be. And uh, uh, it's funny because we're, I mean, there's some bumps along the way. Um, uh, there was a time where uh, one of our, our music ministers, who's, they're both great guys, but they did like the Latin Gloria for like two months straight and people got a little annoyed with that. And my pastor's like, we don't need to do it for two months straight. We can do it every once in a while. You know, <laughs> you know, it's a little stuff like that. Um, and there's still some confusion there. But a few things have happened. Uh, people aren't really angry at the priests for adding more Latin, doing the antiphons, that sort of thing. Um, 
And I think it's because we're all genuine in it. Uh, we're, it's not an ideology for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not being jerks about it. Um, we're still good priests. It's not like an agenda. It's just like, we really think that this is what the liturgy needs to look like. And so what's been interesting is there's been less, of course, there's some anger, but when there's difficulty, it's more like confusion. And we've gotten more and more genuine questions like, okay, you seem like a good priest. I like the way you preach. Why are we doing this? Because I don't understand it, right? It's very different. And yeah, there have been some people who have been angry and left, but there have been a lot more who have shown up. Um, uh, And I think we forget that, okay, yeah, a lot of times Catholics can be the worst, priests included, but we are still the baptized. Like the Holy Spirit still is working within us. Uh, And I think we'll get more receptivity than we think we will. Um, and it's, it goes back to a very kind of simple thing, sociological, emotional thing, where so often we focus on the few angry voices and not oh, yeah. everyone else who's there. Um, and, uh, it's, and it's been kind of interesting because also my parish has been kind of a refuge for a lot of the, um, trads who can't get to trad mass as much mm-hmm. as they would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, they show up at our parish and they go, oh, this is fine. Mm-hmm. I can pray here. Mm-hmm. There's something that's good about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that being prophetic will necessarily be as destructive on the local level that we think it will be. Hmm. Is a suspicion I have. Hmm. It's gonna be one of those rare occasions where I'm not as op- I'm not too optimistic mm, <laughs> <fair>. or hopeful. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's also different ecclesia situations, right? Right, where. In five years, there's going to be like four or five active priests in my diocese, probably at this yeah, rate. Which is like, nuts. Which is nuts with 35 parishes. Yeah. It's nuts. And, I, and I'm honestly not looking forward to the idea of being like a traveling priest going from parish to parish. No. It's just, it's just not my style. It's not what I'm, yeah. I don't know. It's, we'll see. it's not being a pastor. It's, well, I mean, it, it is. But it, it, well, it is. But it's like, here's the weird thing I've actually never desired to be a pastor. Uh, <laughs> yes and no for you. Right. You have a pastoral heart. You want to lead people, father them. Yeah, that but sort of not thing. in st- a parish. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but you would like to build relationships with people. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Like, I like doing exactly. ministry. Like, I like doing ministry, right? right. Like, I don't, I just, That's what I mean by being a pastor. That's running I mean. a parish is not my thing. But yeah. I also believe that sometimes Jesus, through the church, through your bishop, asks you to set aside your charisms for the sake of a, a more deep, greater good, which is make sure happens you all the, time. the sacraments. Right. Yeah. Um, there's that, but it's, it's just through different experiences of the American church the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, the church in America, I should say. Yeah. Somewhat like an American church, I'm sure. Uh, it depends. It depends, <laughs> it depends on the parish. On, depends on parish. <laughs> parish and uh, bishop. Um, I'm seeing more clearly there's just a lot of stuff we gotta get out of the church mm-hmm. now i'm also a realist uh, in history and everything of recognizing that this has been around since constantine i mean this has been around since simon the yeah. simony right so um it's been there since the beginning so i'm not like saying we need to be a perfect church but it just seems that the 
where is the place to encourage listen like how often do you i wonder sometimes in ecclesial leadership if people see the decisions they make in the light of their of their judgment right i don't think that happens too often yes i would agree and i don't think that's always been the case in the church there's always been rot and crap and everything yeah but there seems to have been a if there seems i don't know, maybe 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 not i don't know i just like i because the other thing is people take the prophetic stance as an automatic indictment against them, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily the case. Prophecy in the contemporary sense of the, the Christian sense is not a necessarily even a calling back. It's, it's really, it's, it's almost like identical in my opinion with martyrdom, mm. right? It's the, this notion of witness. Um, it's missing to a presence that has now come definitively into the world. And that through my life, I need to make this visible and present and known. Um, but that's not necessarily a judgment. Like, so like if a priest wants to live a simpler, poorer life as a diocesan priest, for example, other priests would be like, oh, well, like, you can't do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but really it's a, they take it as like a judgment against their own Got choices. It. Yeah. Right. Like just because you own an Xbox and I don't, doesn't mm -hmm. mean you're a bad priest or anything like that. I mean, sure. I'm a better one, but I mean, obviously. Yeah, but for different <laughs> reasons. That's, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. But it's like, but that's not, you wouldn't take that as a judgment. So oh, I don't really want to have an Xbox for various reasons. You would take that as a judgment. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it's interesting though, because there is that dynamic. <laughs> right, um, yes. And it's not just, on some level, the judgment isn't coming from the witness. The judgment mm -hmm. is coming from one's own conscience or maybe the exactly. spirit. Yeah. So um, uh, when someone is radically pursuing God, and that looks different for everyone, you know, um, uh, but let's say you're, you are trying to, I also like the idea that like discernment isn't whether or not to choose God, it's how to choose God in the yeah. moment, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, uh, Let's just say Friar Nick, uh, our buddy Friar Nick, who, um, while he works a lot with money in his uh, religious order, he is a friar, doesn't have a lot of money. I can look at that witness and mm -hmm. feel guilty about myself and feel angry about it. Mm -hmm. Or I can be inspired by it. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. a, that's a difference between a converted and unconverted heart. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, both live within the same heart <laughs> in different ways. No, right? no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and, and it's also tough because we do have a recent history of not challenging people. So yeah. it becomes this brand new experience. Um, and, and often you've, you're kind of alone and trying to pursue it. Yeah. To an extent, the prophet is always alone. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think they necessarily have to be. They're not supposed to be. Um, at least not like Jesus sends people out together. Um, mm -hmm. th there's something important about like Paul and Barnabas, um, yeah. like the Lord knows we need a prophet next to us to help us yes. as well. So, and, and so two things are going through my head. One is like this notion of prophecy. I keep on like channeling back to lately is also because like in the new Testament, the prophet is actually pretty much a priest yeah. <laughs> in new Testament, mm -hmm. Greek language. Right. So yeah. 
it is an offering element. It's just offering your life as a living sacrifice, you know, Romans 12, 1, um, which is your spiritual or rational worship. Um, it's this constant giving of self. It's the living of divine love. It's the living of Trinitarian love. Um, like, this is the thing. It's like we keep on people saying, well, people leave the church. This, 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 it's this bishop, it's that priest, it's this politics, it's this, that policy. It's like, no, it's because we don't reveal the freaking Trinity. Yeah. People do not see the Trinity in the church. Because mm -hmm. if they saw it, they would say, this is what I've been searching for. Yeah. And this is what I've been longing for. And the problem right now, it seems to me, is that like the members of the church seem to be actively squashing anybody who wants to prophetically live the love of the Trinitarian love in their life. Yeah. And I don't think that's okay. Correct. And it needs to stop. And even if it doesn't stop, those who away feel out. the squashing need to keep going. Yeah. And so like, but then those feeling the squash need to start getting together. And it's like, in a way, like we all call to a certain level of prophecy mm -hmm. and which is like, or another way to put it, it's like discipleship of, of making radical life choices around the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like even for lay people, there's a prophetic witness to the ability uh, to Imagine being a family who says, well, you know, we're not going to spend $20,000 on a big family vacation because we want to go serve the poor at the mm -hmm. soup kitchen. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's just this, I don't know. I feel like, and I feel like the way the church is structured right now, or sorry, and by the way, I mean that, I don't mean her essential structure. I mean, like the, the forms that we've imposed upon her over the last few centuries. Yeah. I just think need to really be rethought for the sake of allowing the purifying love of Jesus to be more visible again. And it might mean that we have to rethink how, like, like I, I'm okay with the idea of like rethinking what a parish is. I'm okay with rethinking how dioceses are structured. Well, it's interesting because we are in different places. Yes. Um, we're both in areas of decline, but on different levels. Uh, and you have to go first. So it's, <laughs> um, and, and there's, it's, it's, huh. So well, actually yeah. with that, so, um, I spent some time in Whitehorse, which has like almost no priests. Mm -hmm. It's really bad up there. And I got to know this family, the Grimard family. Like you want to meet saints, you meet them. Yeah. Married couple, about my age. They have eight kids now, something like that. Whew. And for before five years, they were living in a two-bedroom house, which was a rectory next to a church. That house burnt down due to a forest fire. He lost. He had, the one thing he had, he had a lot of board games. But again, even in all his board games, he used for ministry with all the kids in town. Yeah. Um, and now they're in another town called Dees Lake with their eight kids in a small house again. They left literally everything to ensure that there was some sort of ministerial presence in that local town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And they've been doing it for years mm -hmm. and they have eight kids yeah making like absolutely nothing yeah <laughs> and they are so happy mm -hmm. and they are saints <laughs> yeah and we need more of that like so this is not just a priest thing no because like 
here's the thing: if in your parish, a priest will feel enlivened and bold, emboldened because he sees that witness in the people he's serving every day. Absolutely. It'll excite him to get out of bed to say, mm-hmm. "I get to go serve my people today." Not like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to deal with this complaint and that complaint." And that. Again, that's part of life. I'm not saying like it's right. not going to be no suffering, right? But it's just, I think for a lot of priests, there's more lament than joy. <laughs> if we're going to be honest, let's be honest. Yeah. So um, okay, one. Mm-hmm. Can I bring one last little thing quickly? Yeah. Do you have two minutes? How do we foster prophecy then? How do we foster witness? What do we need to do? And and this has been my experience of my last few weeks. We need to slow the frick down. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is doing too much in their and and, and uh, we need to allow silence to break because you cannot hear Christ's call in your heart if you're silent. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. We need to, and that means a slowing down. Like, I, my prayer life has not been better than it's been in the last three weeks than it mm-hmm. has been for the whole year. Like, it's just been amazing. Why? Yeah. Like, I'll even sit in the chair in my room here. I'll sit there. I'll just kind of talk to Jesus. I'm on the bus ride looking at the farms on the way. I'm just like, okay, Jesus, let's talk. You know, like, yeah. it's just, we, you need that, that slowness, that silence. We need a lot more localness, which means we need to stop worrying about what's going on everywhere all the time. And need to put all of our energy and efforts into our neighbor. Uh, we need to get rid of a lot of bureaucracy, <laughs> yeah. um, and we need to foster ways as priests to create co-responsibility with laity for the parish area. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all of it, that prayerful silence and slowness, which means not just for the priest but for the laity too, not making I want to do this activity, I want to do this fundraiser. Who cares? No, no, let's pray first. Yeah, let's do that first. And then in a mutual discernment, within a spirit of co-responsibility, whereby people who, and they want it, will also want to do the work to make it happen. That's when things start to grow. But that's hard because it's not functional. It's not technocratic. It's organic. And it gives a space for the spirit to do his work. There's too much of a divide between priest and lady. Yes, yes. Why? Because every because there's a culture that says the priest has to make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, father has to be uh, a theologian, a preacher, a healer, a counselor, a psychologist, financial advisor, family family uh, friend, uh, um, um, know about building codes. Like just where we, we there's still this strong expectation because it was built that way for a while and it yeah. was kind of necessary. But those days are done. They're gone. Mm-hmm. And so it's also on us to be willing to kind of give up the power, if you will, mm-hmm. which is hard. How can you, how do you govern without doing everything? This is the question you have to ask yourself. Man. Okay. This, this is bleeding into another topic because there's okay. good ways and bad ways to do that. I'm thinking about, um, some of our young guys who are doing this in ways that are like, wait a second, you still have to, you still have to lead. You still have to do something. Right. You can't just let. So, but anyway, but overall, yes, I absolutely agree. Um, you should make this your topic for next week. I might have to do that. I have some other things bubbling, but okay, yeah, but it'll be good. I'll shut up there. Sorry, I just no, no, this, no, no, is, this is something that's really on my heart, and yeah. it, just, it just doesn't. It's not leaving me. Yep. And so the podcast becomes place of self-expression mm, beautiful <laughs> there you go. modern art exactly 
<laughs> just self-expressing everywhere. Just self-expressing everywhere. <laughs> oh, let me pull up our little script here. All right, get up the scripts. We think you don't have this memorized after... How many episodes have we done? Way too many. Uh, Way too many. We're like at 108. We're getting close to 180, I think. Cool. We'll have to maybe we're, we're to do something for 200. We're, yeah, we're coming up in like four years, man. Yeah. It's almost like we're uh, a real thing. It's kind of crazy. It's fun. It's really it's fun. fun. It's good. We'll keep it going for as long as the Lord wants it to keep going. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can... You can't find me. I'm not on the internet. Deal with it. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at <laughs> FR Harrison or being like an Old Testament prophet, breaking sticks. Wow. As signs of God's judgment and then bringing Taking them back holes together. In walls, you know, looking at yes. potters, doing exactly. all kinds of weird stuff. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be kind of fun to do one day at a parish. Like everyone's paying for Sunday mass. You're just like digging a hole in the wall of the church and just like <laughs> looking at stuff. Do it what people's reactions would be. <laughs> you have some concern in this. I, I think there's potential here. Contact the, the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Hey, guys, keep sending us your theological emergencies. We got a good number in the bank. I, it's one of my favorite parts of the show. I love it. Keep sending them in. Uh, 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995. Peace. God bless.